Welcome to episode 175 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest in flight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Archul Sag. But before we get started, how's the new year been for you, my friend? Good. Just very busy. CES is next week, so all I've been doing is just preparing for CES, even though I'm not going to actually be there in person. Yeah, I've been digging out lots of client work. I've got four papers and flight and various stages. So I'm hitting the ground running this year, but let, let's jump into it. With my first topic, I want to talk about Helium Mobile. And we've spoken about them on prior podcasts, but Mike Dana with Light Reading posted an article this week talking about how their subscribership has surged to over 30,000 in the new year. And just for a little bit of context and background, for those that are not familiar with Helium, they're a little bit different in their approach. They're focused on what's referred to as a DY uh, or decentralized wireless business model, which rewards its users for deploying infrastructure to support the, the overall network. And there are fungible tokens. The reward comes in the form of cryptocurrency. And Mike credits uh, a new uh, unlimited plan at $20 a month for the, the surge in subscribership. And it's an interesting business model. They leverage uh, as an MVN T-Mobile's network. And, and obviously the incentive here is to offload off of that, off the T-Mobile network to reduce the overall cost. And again, the reward is providing these users that invest in the infrastructure with cryptocurrency. There is a fungible token that's also been deployed. What's interesting is that for a while, there was not a loophole, but there was an ability for, for people to, to figure out the number of subscribers on the network. And that's something that's typically very closely guarded by MVN. As they've since closed that, they've, they've implemented some coding that, that prevents that. But hey, it's interesting. Cryptocurrency certainly isn't dead. I still own a little bit of the Bitcoin. I, I know that I think you got out of it uh, quite a while ago, but what do you think? I did get out of Bitcoin, but I have other uh, cryptos, which have all been doing very well for me. So it's, I just nice. But I do, I do think what Helium is doing is interesting. I think there is like a potential future for it. I know it's difficult to build out a new network, and I think they know this too. So I think they're taking much more of a low and slow approach. And I actually looked into deploying a Helium hotspot just to see what it was like and so I could earn some tokens before maybe it became more difficult to earn them. But yeah, I, it's it's a very interesting concept and it'll be interesting to see how that evolves over time. Coverage is still pretty spotty for their network. So they're gonna they're leaning very heavily onto MVNOs. Um but they claim to have cell coverage in my area. It might just be one of the things I have to try out for myself. Yeah, I give them credit for being differentiated on their approach. And there are other MVNs, Peter Atherton. Well, what's the name of his company? He's doing something with Walmart and it's, you define your own, your own pay plan. I think it's MobileX. I think you're right. It's MobileX. Yeah. So I think for these MVNs that are differentiating more uh, than just a straight line price, like MobileX and, and Helium. I think that's unique because at the end of the day, I, I don't, the general public doesn't probably understand this, but when you subscribe to an MVNO, yes, you're getting uh, typically a lower subscription price, but 
you don't have the same level of priority that, for example, you would have signing up for a, a plan with T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T, that sort. You, you just reminded me of Patriot Mobile, which Kevin Sorbo is now the spokesperson for. And I thought it was really funny because they were acting like there's these woke carriers and there's these tech carriers. And then if you go look into it, they, they're an MVNO of all three major carriers. So it's literally no difference. Actually, <laughs> words. That's their differentiation. Taking the political point, I thought it's pretty funny. But hey, let's move to your first topic. And I caught this news as well. So you want to talk about T-Mobile six carrier aggregation within standalone 5G. Yeah, so this was a, I think this happened earlier this week. On the 4th was the announcement, so yesterday. Basically, they were able to, they did this test with Ericsson and Qualcomm, which is like their usual suspects of companies they work with. And they were able to achieve 3.6 gigabits per second with six carriers on its live 5G network. So this was, um, they didn't say this was in a lab, but they're saying it was on a live network. It could have been in a lab-like scenario, which is most mm-hmm. likely. Um, they said that they were, they used um, two channels of 2.5 gigahertz, two channels of PCS and two channels of AWS. For, for an aggregate of 245 megahertz of aggregated spectrum, which is a lot of spectrum, honestly, that's a lot. But if you look at what's happening in millimeter wave, you would need multiple 100 megahertz channels to achieve that. And even then, it's usually quite a bit of spectrum. And yeah, this is without millimeter wave that they're achieving 3.6 gigabits. Realistically, there's probably near zero places where you're going to be able to get 245 megahertz of spectrum, but having that bigger block available and having smaller pieces combined, you you could still easily hit. I've personally already hit 1.5. I'm curious to see how high it can go. I might go back to my my highest performing uh, areas and see how they do. But yeah, it's really interesting and it's very compelling. And this is what people were expecting out of 5G. And I think standalone low latency. They didn't talk about latency, but I have a feeling this is also fairly low latency compared to a lot of other things. So it's just a continuation of T-Mobile's leadership in 5G. They're not really slowing down. Uh, They know that Verizon and AT&T are are hot on their heels and they can't stop and they clearly won't stop. Yeah. Clearly they're fine-tuning their leadership position and it's exciting to see some of these speeds. And to your point, it's really delivering on the true promise of 5G. And again, I've been talking about this for probably since we started the podcast. 5G standalone delivers the true potential of, of 5G with respect to throughput and latencies. But with that, let me go to my second topic. I caught this news. This is really interesting because we've talked about ag tech applications in the past, but Ericsson is helping deploy uh, 5G for ag tech operations and applications across Australia. They're working with a nonprofit organization called Agribusiness Connect, and it's it's part of uh, an incubator that's focused on looking for new novel ways to leverage mobile with respect to agriculture. And we I've talked about these use cases in the past, but what I like about this partnership between the nonprofit and Ericsson is that they're going to focus on the entire supply chain. So I've talked about use cases with, with drones and for pesticide applications and for surveying and that sort of thing. But this is really focused on the whole supply chain from processing, packaging, 
warehousing and transportation. And this is where 5G really shines, supporting and tracking things in motion. And so I, I think this is a great opportunity. And, and by the way, um, it appears that uh, Ericsson will be uh, providing both support for uh, connectivity across uh, public networks with you know, major mobile network operators in Australia, and then also private networks where it makes sense. I don't know if you caught the news, but, but what are your initial thoughts? I didn't catch the news, but I think a lot of companies are going to continue to diversify like Ericsson. Um, and there's going to just have to be more companies out there that are offering these solutions uh, that understand agriculture so that Ericsson doesn't have to hire experts in every industry to be able to properly apply 5G, which is the way it's supposed to work. But I think we're still fairly early and I think the lack of standalone has maybe scared away a lot of companies from entering the space. Yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that with my third topic with respect to standalone. But let's move to your second topic. I definitely caught this news. <laughs> a lot of flurry of activity around satellite communications and low Earth orbit. But SpaceX launched its first batch of satellites that are equipped yeah. to support direct-to-cell connectivity. And you want to talk about that? Yeah, so they did this launch, I want to say yesterday. And basically this launch was, I think it was done out of California, it was not on a Starship, which is not how this was supposed to happen. That platform is still under development and not ready for launch. So they launched a, a new set of uh, six satellites and T-Mobile said that they will be testing them fairly soon because the way they deploy, they're dropped in the lower orbit. I don't know why I struggle with that word. Low earth orbit and they they'll be doing testing and this will be something that will, will take a while for spacex to continue to develop and improve coverage because it's a new generation of satellites what's interesting is that there's no plans for exactly when it'll be available now but i will say that i think a lot of this is dependent on starship because that's the best and most efficient way to launch these satellites because if they continue to use Falcon Heavy and other non-Starship platforms, it will be too expensive to actually do. So I think this is a this is delayed, in my opinion, but it's really based on SpaceX's timelines. And yeah, it's good that T-Mobile is going to have testing rolling out and they'll be able to figure out, work out a lot of the kinks before all the satellites are up. And by then they'll have a full network and I assume we'll have pretty good coverage in the U.S. just because T-Mobile already has great coverage. It would be really hard for them to deploy this and not have good coverage nationwide. But they do have other partners, as they've mentioned, globally that will also participate in this program because these satellites are not going to be stationary. So there are going to be parts of the world where they're covering other countries entirely. And those operators will donate their spectrum. And then there will be like a spectrum sharing agreement where... yeah. So users can roam across uh, mm -hmm. different networks as long as they're subscribers, which is the way I understood it, that it would work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This has been long in the process. It seems Elon makes the commitments and somewhat under delivers. But if I remember the initial announcement between T-Mobile and SpaceX, it was over a year ago. And so now they're just getting birds in the air. And this isn't even production. This is testing. They've been poking companies like AST Space Mobile that are not in production yet as well. 
So I think, hey, it's a level playing field. It's hard to call a winner. We talked about this on our last podcast. I'm glad he brought up the delivery mechanism for these satellites because low Earth orbit is all about reuse, lower cost, and you're right, Falcon Heavy. That's an expensive way to get these things into the air, and uh, they're going to have to focus on more efficient ways to do that. And certainly SpaceX, on my Twitter feed over the, the holidays, someone pointed out, probably a SpaceX fanboy or fangirl, that, that hey, AST Space Mobile uses SpaceX as well to get their birds into space. Which, yeah, that's true, but at the end of the day, it's not about it's not about that. It's about coverage, and it's about the platform and the compatibility. At the end of the day, you and I said, it's hard to call a winner right now. We both give, still give the edge to AST Space Mobile. Given where they've been with proof of concepts, they're certainly well ahead of SpaceX. But hey, listen, this is all good. Having more competition here, I think there will be some fallout. There will be some consolidation because lots of different parts of the world are, are partnering with different companies to accomplish this. But I, I think it's good just from a bridging the digital divide perspective. But with that, let me go to my third and final topic. And I'm hot off the process today. I did publish a Forbes article. Yeah, I took a different plan on this. Typically, you and I post our predictions for our particular areas of focus. Um, mine happens to be networking, both enterprise and service provider 5G and security. W what I decided to do this year is to go back and look at what I published in 2023 right. um, from a 5G predictions and then uh, evaluate that, determine if my predictions landed and provide some forward-looking thoughts there. You can hit my Twitter feed at Willtown Tech if you want to dive into it. It's a pretty lengthy article, but one of my first predictions was fixed wireless access would achieve terminal velocity. And by all measures, it has. I spoke about that last week, so I don't want to go into a lot of detail there. My second prediction at the beginning of 2023 was mobile network slicing would become a reality. My friend, that was a hit or a miss. I'm, I'm glad I'm not judged by all of my predictions landing 100%. But you and I also spoke last week about the fact that 5G standalone has to be there to support network slicing. Given the investment in RAN and the slowdown that we saw last year, I believe this year will be, 2024 will be the year of network slicing and 5G standalone. I think we're going to really see it hit its, its momentum. And then finally, my third prediction at the beginning of 2023 was about an open RAN market consolidation. I talked to you uh, the point that there are lots of players vying for the opportunity and there wasn't a lot of production happening there from as far as a deployment perspective. That didn't really happen. We didn't see a Mavenir or go out of business or anything like that, but we did witness that watershed moment, that announcement between Ericsson and AT&T. And so I talk about that a little bit more in my article and in how I believe that's really going to drive um, a lot of activity around open RAN, moving it from proof of concept into, into production. But I don't know if you have anything else to add before we move to your third topic, but no, what do you I think? am, I did work on uh, a summary piece for 2023 that should be publishing pretty soon for my favorite phones of 2023. As a look back at the year, we're going to actually get a new Galaxy phone pretty soon this month. That's something to talk about. January 17th, there will be a, an event. But these are my two favorite phones. This is the Samsung S23 Ultra and the iPhone 15 Pro Max. So nice. these are these were my two favorite phones for the year. They were actually tied together for different reasons. But yeah, I'm, I'm working on an article about that. And that'll be publishing pretty soon. 
Uh, I've got lots of CES coverage, already published two articles on that, not 5G. Nice. But yeah, it's it's a busy year. We've got lots of predictions. Uh, I wish the standalone prediction was more uh, consequential. I think you can probably say that this will be the year of standalone. I think we were a little optimistic on that, but being off yeah. my a year isn't so bad as an analyst. Yeah. Um, I think uh, we, we have some more predictions. We should probably actually consider working together on our predictions for this year just for everything. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to read your article and, and, and give my thoughts. I saw you shared it this morning. I'll find some time to give it a read. Awesome. Yeah, I'll just all on a final note that this year I was asked to become a, a judge again for the Glomo Awards, which are tied to Mobile World Congress Barcelona, which I will be attending and I will likely be writing an article that summarizes my findings uh, in early March after I attend. And I'm actually, this year, it's they asked me to participate in mobile device, uh, a mobile device category, not infrastructure. So I get, to, I get to spend some time with some really cool products. The infrastructure tends to be a little dry and boring. But let's, so let's go to your third and final topic and we'll wrap it up. And I caught this, and this is pretty wild, but you want to talk about Japan and they're aiming to put flying 5G base stations into orbit. Yeah, so this article actually snuck under the radar the last day of the year. So this was more of a, it was still this week, just on Sunday. If you can remember that, it's been a long week. (laughs) But basically, they have proposed frequencies for airborne telecommunications base stations, and they want to have them basically be adopted as a global standard, which would allow them to basically have solar powered planes that they're calling these high altitude platform stations. And these high altitude platform stations would use 1.7 to 2.6 gigahertz and even seven to 900 megahertz bands for communications. And that would basically allow for them to fly at an altitude of 18 to 25 kilometers in the stratosphere and and act like cellular base stations in the sky. Mm-hmm. And SoftBank has already said that they've done 5G transmissions from the stratosphere successfully. And they were able to do a video call between 5G smartphones in Rwanda and Japan. This is clearly a way for them to create infrastructure that's mobile and potentially gives access to people who don't otherwise have it. That could be much less expensive to operate and build than, let's say, satellite. Obviously, this is not the end-all, be-all of solutions. There's still going to be lots of need to have terrestrial base stations, and there's going to be need to connect these to somewhere on the ground for for connectivities. There's a big opportunity for developing nations to take advantage of that, and this could be another way to add service in places where maybe satellite doesn't work or where countries don't want satellite or the bandwidth isn't enough, right? Because the closer you are to earth, the better your chances are of getting good bandwidth. Yeah, it doesn't cost uh, billions of dollars to get these things up in the air and we'll see what happens. But this is just an interesting concept. We've heard a lot of people talk about this. Google had Loom with their balloons. uh, and Drones? People? I've seen some drone applications where they're tethered drones but yeah same thing and 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 there has even been talk about using these types of solar powered vehicles as almost in orbit satellites but it's really interesting because 
there's still a lot of innovation happening. And, and I, I love, I like that people are trying to figure out a solution to make this work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we've got all the stair stuff. We've got geosynchronous satellites. We have Leo now. We have the possibility of this tethered drones and balloons. That's a lot of stuff floating in the sky, but yeah, it's exciting. We've got to kick the tires on this to, to determine what's going to be viable and what's not going to be viable. But my friend, we got through our first podcast of the year. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Wealthtown Tech and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in next week and don't forget to rate us and subscribe.